0: with me to Philippians chapter 3, if you will. Philippians chapter 3. For those of you who have been praying for my wife, those of you who are here in the uh, auditorium, and those who are joining us on Facebook Live, uh, first of all, thank you for your prayers and your concern, Erin. It's kind of in a holding pattern now. She's gotten to a a certain place of recovery, and uh, the pain is kind of staying where it's at, and... Uh, Her energy isn't back yet. For those of you who don't know, Erin was in the hospital for 26 days, went in to have her gallbladder removed, ended up catching two deadly strains of pneumonia. Got a call on Father's Day morning at 12.15 a.m. asking permission to put her on a ventilator because they didn't think she was gonna make it through the weekend. She did, but then they found out after that that they had nicked something and she had a bile leak and her abdomen was filled with with, uh, infection. So it was just uh, 26 days of wonderful, um, but she's home now and she's recovering slowly. Uh, just, We just ask that you continue to pray. She told me last night when she went to bed, she said, I think I'm going to be able to get up in the morning and come to, come to church. And uh, I got up this morning and um, as I was getting ready to leave, I went out on the back porch and I said, uh, knowing the answer, I said, so I do, need, do I need to come and get you at 10.30? She said, no, that's okay. <laughs> so... She's still pretty worn out, but thank you for your prayers, and, uh, and we appreciate and covet your continued prayers for her. Um, Philippians chapter 3 is our text. We're continuing our series on race and the church, talking about what we can do in the church. And it's great to see an, another great crowd. Our crowds are getting bigger uh, every Sunday, and great to see new people coming out and, and visiting us. And um, it's, it's awesome. And the great thing about doing two services is you can, if you can look back. I can look back at what I forgot in the first service and correct it in the second service. I'm at that age where forgetting is kind of natural. Um, but we're, we're talking about race in the church. We've talked about, we've addressed the racial issue, the problems of race in the church. And, and we've looked at it, what the Bible has to say about the fact that we were not created and the church was not created to be divided by race. The church was created, uh, first of all, God created skin color. He created differences. There's nothing, uh, there's nothing superior. There's nothing to be ashamed of. It's something to be celebrated. Skin tone is to be celebrated in the church, especially in the church, because it's how God created us. Yet we, as the church, down through the 400 years, uh, through 400 years of American history, has divided over the issue of race. And, and we've talked about it. We know the reasons why. And, but here we are today finding ourselves still separated by race. And I've used statistics through all of this series. 90, over 90% of, uh, of uh, Christians in America attend church where their race is the predominant race. It's, it, it's a problem because it's divisive in the church. It's dividing us. People, and you can say, well, people can choose to, to worship where they want, and that's true. That's not the issue. The issue is, are they welcome in your church? When, you, when, when a person of color walks into New Life Church, which is a traditionally white church in a very white neighborhood, very white town, 98% white, when a person of color walks into New Life Church, do they feel welcome? Do they be, are they made to feel as if they belong, or are they made to feel as if they need to be somewhere else? And that's where we're coming at with this, because... If we aren't reaching out and making people, no matter their skin color, feel comfortable in the church, then we're not following the dictates and the teachings of the word of God, where he said he, will, he, he came to make the two one. So that's what we're talking about. And we're at the point in our series now where this, these next three messages are, are uh, going to be probably the last. We might do one to just kind of wrap everything up. But the title, the the overall title for these next three messages is this. So how do we fix this? And I answer my own question by saying this, by being intentional. How do we fix this problem? How do we fix, and it is a problem, and I'm going to address that here in a second. It is a problem. How do we fix it? By being intentional, taking intentional actions, doing intentional things to address the issue so that we can fix it. Our series has now brought us to the place of actions to find solutions. To my mind, there really can be no doubt that racial division and complicity exist within the church today. I I just, there's just no doubt in my mind. Reading, listening, talking, um, just observing factually. There's no doubt that there is racial division and complicity. And I hope that over the last uh, several sermons that I've preached, I've made that point from the Bible very clear. I believe that we're beyond the point of browbeating and statistics and continued argument. And we're now at the point where active solutions need to be brought out and change has to be made. Not, and I'm talking about the church in general and, and, and our church as well. And listen, if, if, well, let me say this before I say that. As with any problem in life in the church, it's vital that we dig in and find biblical principles that will bolster our argument. I've said all along, this is not a political speech. I'm not making a political argument. I'm not making a social justice argument. That's not what this is about. Because I believe that justice in society will come from people whose hearts are right with God. If Christians, if people who have accepted Christ as their savior, true believers in the word of God, truly incorporate the teachings of the word of God about their brothers and sisters in Christ, then remember, it doesn't matter the color of your skin. If you've asked Jesus Christ to come into your heart, you're a brother or sister of mine in Christ. And if we will truly incorporate the principles of the Bible towards brothers and sisters in Christ, that will be as Amos 5.24 says, it will let justice flow like mighty rivers. And it will flow down from the mountains. It will, it will come out of us into society. And we won't have to worry about this anymore. But we're a long way from that right now. <laughs> so we have to find biblical principles to apply so that we can fix these problems. As well, and listen, we're not going to allow this to become a distraction. It's just go, it, what it just needs to become is part of our life and part of our ministry. And we need to find ways to minister to everybody that includes everybody and encourages everybody. I can't, like I said, I can't make people come here, but I sure can make them feel welcome here. And I'll, I'll say this about our town. There's a you, we'll get into this later on in the message. I cannot speak to the feelings of people of color about crossing the borders into East Longmeadow. That is their, that, that is how they feel. That is their experience. I cannot tell them they're wrong because it's not my experience. But I believe that if we as a church will stand up with people of color and say, we love you here at New Life and we welcome you and we'll stand up and, and we're, we're going to stand beside you and even, and even boldly proclaim that you're welcome here. Then it, it will serve, I believe, to break down that wall and that barrier so that they will feel welcome, and yes, safe, because talk to many of them, and they don't feel safe coming into our town. That's just the fact of the matter, and we'll talk about that here in a little bit. We've got to find biblical principles that will bolster our argument. Let me say this, honestly, if you've come to this point in these sermons, if you've listened to all these sermons, you've come to this point, and you still don't believe that race, that a race issue exists within the church, then I just don't know what to say to you. You're one of those people that just continually moves the goalposts. Somebody, somebody makes the, answers your question and gives you the right answer, and you say, well, that's not good enough, and that's not good enough, and, that's good. and I don't know what to say to you. I really don't. I believe that you probably have a very hard heart towards the truth of the Word of God, and you're intentionally being blind to what is staring you directly in the face. I don't know what more to do or say to help you open your eyes to truth, but I do know that I have to move forward to the next phase of things so that we can start making changes that need to be made. And on a personal note, I'll say this. My two youngest sons are nine years old now, and they've experienced more overt acts of racism in their short lives than I've experienced in my long life, which totals zero. 57 years old, and I've never experienced an overt act of racism towards myself. That's because I'm white. My two youngest sons are brown, and they've experienced lots of racism in our town, in, our, in East Longmeadow school system, from children and adults. So my two nine-year-old sons, they also don't have time for you to wake up and see the truth. They need white people who will be allies with them and will stand up for them and others of color so that they can simply be treated as equals in and out of the church and go along with their lives and pursue God's plan without the stench of racism dogging them. And let me say this. In all the conversations I've had with people of color, what it boils down to with them is they simply want to be treated as equals. They simply want to be seen as equals. They simply want to be seen as someone just like you who simply has different colored skin. I don't think that's too much to ask. I don't think that's beyond the pale. I don't think that, and you know what? I also don't think that problem has been solved in this country yet. Because too often, they are seen that way. They are seen as different. We do see them, uh, the white population does see them collectively as, as uh, different in a negative way. And that's just, that's just honesty. I'm a realist. There will always be horrible people who believe in racism and live it out and live that way. But if the rest of us would simply stand up to them, shout them down, confront them, call them out, then their voices would have no credibility and their impact and influence would become less and less in the church and in the world. My father is sitting in the back. My mother and father are both here this morning. They've been here at the nine o'clock service. They're here at the 1030 service. My parents are the definition of faithful. I mean, I love, love it. If nobody else is here, I know my parents are gonna be here, right? But my dad raised me, you know, my dad was in the Navy for 20 years and then he became a pastor. And my dad is a, was, was raised, I, I, I met my grandfather, Chase, my grandpa Chase, when I was I like two years old. I don't remember him at all. I see him in pictures and I know that I look a lot like him. Thanks, Grandpa, but, but, he, but he had hair and, and I, don't, I don't know what to do with that. What happened to the genetics there? My father raised me to be a gentleman, raised me to be a man, a man of God, and also raised me to stand up to bullies. My dad said the best way to deal with a bully is to stand up to him. Not start a fight, not throw down with people, but to stand up to him because people who are inherently bullies, are that way because other people let them get away with it. And if you will stand up to a bully and say, hey, you're not going to do that here. My, my wife, Erin, she had to learn that about me. That, Listen, I'm not going to let men in society, I'm not going to let men look at you that way and make comments about you without coming back at them. And I don't care how big the guy is. You're my wife and you're to be treated with respect. And she said, oh, you embarrass me so much. I said, well, okay, then you're going to be embarrassed because every time a man makes those comments about you, he's going to have this old cat looking at him saying, knock it off or we're going to have a problem. When it comes to race as a Christian, you're always going to have people, it's just human nature, there's always going to be racists. But their impact will be less if we will stand up to them as, as children of God, if we will stand up to them and say, listen, you're not, your voice is not welcome in this conversation. You do not represent what we want to hear. And as a Christian, you're not what we need to be representing. So you can be the way you want to be, but I'm telling you you're wrong. And that may make you feel uncomfortable, but take my word for it. As you do it more and more, you become much more comfortable in that role. <clears throat> Now, this sermon that we're going to be getting into today will be in three parts, going to be at least three weeks long, and in it I'm going to challenge each and every one of us to to incorporate three actions into our lives when it comes to people of other races, whether it's in conversations and dealing with people of a different race, or in speaking with those of our own race. I believe that we will pursue... That if we will pursue race relations within the church with these attitudes, then we'll see walls coming down and we'll make great strides towards unity in the church. And as I told you at the beginning, that's the premise of this message. And that's the goal of this series of messages is to tear down walls so that we can be unified. I believe we're living in the last days. I believe we're seeing it. I believe we're seeing the prophecies of the end times being played out before our eyes. And I believe it's incredibly important that we as Christians recognize that and do everything we possibly can to not get distracted by what's going on around us in the world. But as the Bible says, when you see these happenings, These these things going on, look up because your redemption draws nigh. And now's the time to put our nose to the grindstone, put our shoulder to the wheel, and work together. It's so important that we reach across racial lines in church and work together so that we can reach as many people as possible. Because we know when we leave this earth through the rapture and the seven-year tribulation takes place, it's going to be very difficult for people to learn about Jesus Christ. So it's going to be in three parts. I believe that if we will pursue racial relations within this, uh, this manner, we'll work towards unity the, within the church. And if we can incorporate these within our community and family lives, then I believe that we will be taken seriously for our faith and give credibility that leads to sharing Jesus with others. That much of the church, that credibility is what much of the church lacks in these troubled days. You see, there's a purpose to it. It's not simply to, bring a, to engineer social change. It's not simply to make people feel comfortable. It's the purpose of tearing down those walls so that we can have a greater witness, so that we can have more credibility. Listen, if you talk about the love of Jesus Christ, and we say all the ground is level at the foot of the cross, and Jesus loves everybody, Jesus loved the little children, red, yellow, black, and white, they are precious in his sight, yet we don't want people of different colors in our church. We're hypocrites. Don't you think they see it out there? And if they see us as hypocrites with that message... And how in the world are they going to listen to the message of Jesus Christ? We've got to be people of integrity in every aspect. So unity within the church among the races is vital, I believe, to our witness to the world. Now, (laughs) the three actions that we're we're going to be talking about are this. The one we're going to talk about today is speaking with honesty. The second one we'll talk about next week is thinking with sincerity. And the third one will be acting with integrity. Speaking with honesty, thinking with sincerity, and acting with integrity. I believe that if every follower of Jesus would pursue and address racial issues and understanding in this way, then I believe we would see an amazing and enormous change in the church. And I believe we would experience true unity within the church and revival within the church. And I believe that we would see a greater witness going out. We are, boy, time just kind of flies when you're quarantined, right? (laughs) What are we, four months, five months into this pandemic now? Five months. Do you realize that in five months, and I've said said this last week, I think, do you realize that in five months' time, fully 34% of people who attended church, evangelical churches such as ours, 34%, have not only stopped attending, but they've stopped watching online. In five months, we've lost one-third of the church. And we've lost 50% of all millennials, which is 30, Was it, 32, Tiffany? You're right, you're right at the edge of that, right? Right at the so like 34. Yeah, so you're, so we've, we've got a, a couple millennials here today, but we've lost half of their We've lost half of that group. And it's not, it, it, you know, I remember, remember when, when all this happened, they said, oh, we're going to go online and it's the new way to do church. Okay, you could say it's the new way to do anything, folks, but we've lost one third of the church because of this. Because we said it was okay. Listen, we are in a place in the history of the church where we have got to come together and stop being distracted by things that are outside And be focused on the messages. My father and other pastors used to say, make the main thing the main thing. If every follower of Jesus would address those things in this manner, we would see that revival. Now our text challenges us to think deeply and intentionally if we truly want to change and become the person that God created us to be. Let's read Philippians 3. 12-14. through Paul writes, Not that I have already reached the goal or already made perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I have also been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Brother, but I'll tell you what, man, just a side note. That is one of the most powerfully comforting and empowering statements I have ever read in my life in the Bible. Yes, I took hold of Christ, but he took hold of me. And he has taken hold of me for a powerful purpose. Man, that's, that's just awesome to think about. You're not alone in this world. You're not alone when you're on your own. He has taken hold of you, and he has a purpose for your life. It says, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead. I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. I don't know about you, but I am the king of mistakes in my past. Right? I, I'm one of those guys, that uh, one of those people that in a lot of situations, I'm, I'm the youngest of four. My sister Donna is out of the auditorium so I can talk this morning. Uh, I'm, I'm the youngest of four. Um, Donna is the oldest, then Susan and David. And I'll tell you what, they were three great examples of what not to do. They really were. So I learned a lot. I didn't get, my parents didn't beat me half as much as they beat my other. <laughs> we, I didn't get as much corporal punishment in the home as my sisters and my brother did. Why? Because I was six years younger than the oldest and three years younger than the, the next one to me. And I watched what, those, what, what they did. And I said, you know what? I don't want that. So I learned those lessons. But there are other lessons in life That I ignored the examples about. And I had to learn the lessons the hard way, like many of us did. We all learned lessons, a lot of lessons in life the hard way. What Paul is challenging us, even in our walk with the Lord, in our spiritual walk, we've all learned lessons the hard way, right? Maybe you you didn't pray about an issue you were supposed to pray about. Or how about this one? You know the old saying, seven days without prayer makes one week? Yeah. You ever you ever put that to the test? Oh, yeah, I have. How about, how about not reading your Bible? You get so busy and you forget to read your Bible for a few days and you're you just there's just not something to come back to. It's not fresh like it normally is. You're, so we've all learned lessons the hard way. Paul says, even if I've learned lessons the hard way, I put those things behind me. I remember the lesson learned, but I put the failure behind me because I need to press forward into what God has for me. And you can bemoan the past. You can... You can uh, just beat yourself up over, the, over decisions you made and things you did, but it just doesn't matter anymore because it's in your past and God has a future. He has a present and a future for you and that's what he wants you to pursue. And just before we get into the, 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 the meat of this message, let's remember the guiding principles, the three guiding principles in our series in Race in the Church. The first one is this, you must admit that you do not know what you do not know about race, race relations, race relations in the church and what the Bible teaches about your attitude towards other races as a follower of Jesus. You've got to be willing to admit that you don't know what you don't know. And I'm I'm a living I'm living proof folks that it becomes much easier to deal with life when you admit that you don't know everything and that you need to learn and that and that you can learn from everybody. I I, I I have three kids in their 30s and I have two boys that are nine. I learn from my nine year old sons. I learn from my nine year old boys. A lot of it is about attitude towards life. And I learn, I've learned a lot about, about unconditional love. And I've learned a lot about, from, from Gabriel and Michael, I've learned a lot about hanging on to what's really important. We became a family through adoption and. and Gabriel and Michael, if they think I'm upset, and I figured, it it took me a while to figure this out, but if they think I'm upset with them, they'll come back. Most parents, they want to hear I love you from their kids so much, and they never hear it. A lot of parents, not most. My boys, I hear I love you, Dad, from my boys 30 times a day. Because Gabriel and Michael, when they feel insecure in my love, they have to say it to me, so I'll say it back. And I gladly say I love you. And if Michael says, Daddy, I love you, Dad, out of the blue, I'll say, I love you, Michael. If Gabriel doesn't say it, I'll say, I love you, Gabriel. And he'll say, I love you, Dad. But when my boys think I'm upset with them, they come back and they say, I love you. Why? Because they've been abandoned so much in their life that they need that security. And I've learned that it's important. I've learned from my nine-year-old sons that it's important that I let people in my life know that they mean something to me, that they matter to me, that I want them in my life, and they're important in my life. Because they need to feel secure in my friendship, and my relationship, and my love towards them. So we can continue to learn from everybody, but we don't learn if we don't admit that we don't know what we don't know. The second thing is this, you must accept that people of other races and people of your own race have different experiences and perspectives than you do when it comes to treatment from attitudes towards racial issues. you've got to admit that other people, especially people of other races, have different understandings and experiences about race. Truly, Risa and I and Aaron, we can relate. We, can, we have a, a connection that we can understand. And if you ever wanna know what it's like to be a white parent raising children of color in this society, Listen, I have a totally different viewpoint than you do if you don't have children of color. Do you know how <laughs> do You know how heartbreaking it is for you to be looked at as normal walking into a store and your sons be looked at as unwelcome? You know how that feels? Ask me, I'll tell you. It feels horrible. It feels terrible. It, may, it, it, it puts a rage in my heart that I have to deal with before God because that's not the way I need to act. So we need to understand that people, that everybody has a different experience, especially those of a different race. And third, we must commit to applying the principles of the Bible to our view of people of a different race than you. Now listen, you can change all the laws and policies that you want to try and make society equal for all, but unless you change the hearts and minds of human beings, then true change will not happen. We know that from the word of God. The only way a true a person truly changes from the inside out is newly created is by accepting Christ as their Savior. 2 Corinthians 5:17. If anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old is gone, the new is come. So that's the only way that true change in a person's life comes about. Excuse me, governmental and business change happens within the framework of the government, but heart change has to happen within the framework of the church. That's why the church was established, so that the church can be God's, God's messenger to the world. If the church doesn't address, press for, teach, and activate change within our own walls, then there will, then there will truly never be societal change. 75% of Americans claim to be Christians. You can't get that many Americans degree, to, degree on any, uh, to agree on anything. I mean, you can't, 70, I'm a, how, many, how many people are McDonald's people? If you're fast food go-to for, for hamburgers and McDonald's. How about Burger King? Burger King, Burger King people. Yeah. All right, well, let's talk about French fries. Who, uh, who's a McDonald's French fry person? Come on. Now, McDonald's French fries, now, we're, those are fighting words, man. You don't like, you, you, uh, you go for French fries from Burger King or Wendy's? Listen, Wendy's French fries are okay. I mean, they're good in a pinch, but they're a little bit too big. You know what I'm saying? And the best McDonald's french fries are the ones that have stayed, they don't get, the crispy ones are good, because they they hang on to ketchup. But the absolute best McDonald's french fry, tell me if I'm wrong and we'll have a war. The best McDonald's french fry is the one that has stayed a little bit too long in the grease and got soggy. Because and, And they salted a little too much. You get somebody with a little heavy hand with the salt, right? Lord above, you give me a greasy, soggy, salty McDonald's french fry, I'm in heaven. Look, I weigh 270 pounds. Don't, don't, don't argue with me on this. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? That's a fact, man. That's a fact. And I'll tell you what. I learned very young because my dad made a deal with me when I played Little League Baseball. He says, if you hit a home run, I'll buy you a Big Mac. A great, Dad. Great. We'd go to McDonald's. I'd get a Big Mac. You, they didn't have value meals back then. I'm old. They didn't have value meals back then. And Big Macs had just come out. If you want me to sing the Big Mac... Big Mac, aha, uh-huh, it's a meal and a snack. Remember that? Okay, I can, I can see that. I was there when Big Macs were invented. I'd get a Big Mac, I'd get a large fry, I'd get a strawberry shake. Because taking those McDonald's French fries and dunking them in your strawberry shake and eating them like that, oh my Lord, it's like heaven. It's what's going to be served at the marriage supper of the Lamb. But I digress. Okay. <laughs> 75% of Americans ag- agree on Christianity. We've got to build on that. That's just about the largest group of Americans that agree on anything. If that's true, we have something to work with. Now, I don't believe 75% of Americans are born-again Christians. The, uh, the number is down around 36%, 33%. <clears throat> somewhere between 33 and 40%. But true human heart change comes within... Uh, comes within the church, and the church must work within the framework of who we have. And those who believe and accept Jesus Christ as our Savior as, are the ones that we can work with to bring about change in the heart that will bring about change in society. So how do we take these steps to become part of the change in the church? The first one, as I mentioned, was this. We must speak with honesty. If all if all that you want to do is continue the lies, hatred, and bigotry of the past, then you'll never become a true follower of Jesus who lives out the full purpose of the life that he gave you. We must speak with intentional honesty, both with God and with humans, if we truly want to, move, if we truly want to change and move forward. And that means we must do a few things. The first one is this. We must confess and repent of our sin if need be. Listen, we've, over the last few weeks, we've defined what it means to be a racist according to the Word of God. We've defined what it means to be complicit according to the definition and according to the Word of God. If you have found yourself in either one of those camps, if you found yourself in the definition of either one of those uh, those words, then you need to confess your sin to God. If you have looked at people of a different color skin or a different race and you have judged them because of the color of their skin and not, as Dr. King said, because of the content of their character, then you are in sin, and you need to confess that sin to God. Because what you are saying is that if, if, if people of different color skins, of different races, are less than you, what you're saying is that God made a mistake when he created them. And you're attributing sin to God. And that's sin on your part. So you need to confess that sin. And let me say this. Confessing and repenting of our sins to God is the ultimate act of intentional honesty as a child of God. When I pray, when I talk to God, I try to be as honest and open as possible. Why? Not because I want to be open and honest, but because I figure since he knows what's going on anyway, I might as well not beat around the bush, right? He knows. It's like, uh, I remember my, my daughter, Rayanne, when, when my three oldest were little, Somebody painted red on the wall. My daughter Ray Ann was standing there with a paintbrush with red paint dripping off of it. I said, Ray, did you paint on the wall? No. Come on. Come on now. Seriously? I'm like, Ray, you're standing there with a paintbrush. It wasn't me. Ray, you're standing there with a paintbrush. You got paint on your hands. It wasn't me. Okay. Okay. And many of us who have raised children have had those experiences where we know, we know what our children have done, but we want them to admit it because that's the best way to deal with the issue. That's the way it is with God. We speak with intentional honesty to Him because He already knows what we've done. He just wants us to admit it, take responsibility, ask His forgiveness so we can learn the lesson and move forward. James 2.9 says... If, however, you show favoritism, you commit sin and are, con- and are committed, convicted by the law as transgressors. Listen, if you look at other people of, of, of a different color skin, people of other races, as different than you, as less than you, then you have shown yourself to have favoritism and you've shown yourself to be a sinner, and that needs to be confessed. And we're promised in 1 John 1, 9 that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Sometimes, I don't know how many people, and many of you have talked with friends, I'm sure, that have walked away from God or fallen into sin, and they say, man, God could never forgive me. God could never forgive me. How, uh, or, or because of their past, they won't ever get involved in church. They won't, they won't go to church because... How many of you had friends say to you, uh, that the, the ceiling would cave in if I walked in the church, right? Okay, I, I understand there's a little bit of hyperbole there, but that really shows what's in people's heart because they don't believe God could love them because of who they are and what they've done. I'm telling you, share First 1 John 1, 1.9 with yourself and with others because he says if you confess your sin... I will forgive your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Everything you've ever done is forgivable in the eyes of God. He will forgive you. Why? Because he loves you. The second thing we must do is this. Not only confess our sin, but determine that you will turn from that sin or help others turn from their sin. Listen, if you've listened to these messages and realized that you are, you've been racist or you've been complicit in racism and that means that you haven't spoken up or spoken out in a situation, then determine that you're going to change that. That doesn't mean you're gonna be a social justice warrior. That just means that you're going to speak up against things that are wrong in society. Listen, there's a price to be paid. I have neighbors that will not even look at me now. They will not even look at me now because I called out, uh, because a little boy called one of my sons a, a F and N word. And the parents came over and blamed my sons for it and said, your boys call, them, call each other that all the time. I said, my boy's a Puerto Rican. There's a whole different slur for that. Seriously, I said that to them. What are my boys gonna say? There's a whole, I, I was born in Puerto Rico. I know I've been called that slur before. Okay, there's a whole different racial slur for us. My boys don't go around saying that. Well, people don't like the fact, even after one boy came back and apologized for saying it, nobody believes it, and they, don't wanna, they, don't, they just don't want to see us. Well, that's okay. I'm not going to move. I bought the house. I'm going to stay there. I like the neighborhood. I'm putting a pool up for crying out loud. <laughs> We've got to commit to turn from our sin and to help others Turn from theirs. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. And verse 2 is where we want to focus. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Change your mind. Change your mind, change your life. Change your heart, change your mind, change your life. Change your heart, change your mind, change your life, change your church. Change your heart, change your mind, change your life, change your church. You change the world. You see, it all starts with you committing to make change in yourself, not passing it off to other people. Colossians 3, 1 and 2 says, So if you have been raised with Christ, seek things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. And that's where I I remember uh, hearing pastors of the the previous generation say say that that uh, that that phrase, uh, "You're so uh, you're so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good." But there are people who are so earthly minded, they're no heavenly good. Their lives are of no earthly value, no eternal value. For others, because they're so uh, they're so set on gaining everything they can while they're here on earth, and becoming a possessor of things rather than a possessor and a purveyor of truth. Proverbs 28:13 says, "The sin, uh, the one who conceals his sins will not prosper, but who for whoever confesses and renounces them, will find mercy." The third thing we must do is this: make truth our core principle. Truth must be our core principle. Truth must be at our core. Truth must be what holds us together. When I was in the army, uh, we, anytime we'd go on a, a bivouac or we'd go on a, you know, one of the especially in basic training, we marched everywhere. And if we were going to bivouac or we were coming back from bivouac, that's where you set up tents and you sleep on the dirt and you eat lots of stuff with dirt in it and you don't take a bath for seven days, and uh, it's, it's a great time. Sea <laughs> rations with sand, nothing like it, just delicious. But when we would march, we would march with the, the packs on our back, and we'd have, we'd have the backpack, we'd have the fanny pack, and we'd have uh, all kinds of gear connected to our, uh, our web belt, and our web belt was held together by the belt itself. The belt connected to the belt were the suspenders, and on the suspenders hung the backpack. And connected to the back, the, the suspenders was also uh, your flashlight, and on the, the web belt was the canteen. But everything was held together and held in place by the belt. The ammo pouches were on the belt, everything was held together by the belt. I think it's very important and very, very, uh, very telling to us that God chose to use the belt. As the item that holds truth together because the belt holds it all together and in your life in our lives as Christians we must determine to have truth as our core principle that means we don't just talk truth we don't just live truth that means we seek for truth that doesn't mean we allow truth to to go the other way because we're not there and because it doesn't affect us hey white people just because you 're not affected, by, uh, affected directly by racism doesn 't mean you 're allowed to ignore it it 's been ignored long enough for four hundred years it 's been ignored and, and the church let 's be honest i mean we 're not going to rehash the whole the whole last several sermons but let 's be honest the church, the evangelical Church in America has a horrible history of racism overt racism so we make no we make no We have no traction in life by ignoring truth. And by the way, let's have enough, folks, of internet information. Because newsflash, not everything on the internet is true. Not everything. And I mean, let's be honest. You can can watch two different network or, or cable news broadcasts and they can report on the exact same story and you're going to get a different story from well since there's 3 let's just say 3 you'll get a different story from all 3 why because they want to get their angle out they're not a seeker of truth they just want to say what you want what they just want you to hear what they want to say enough of finding your information by seeking it out and reading memes on the internet find people you can rely on people that hold to the word of god and seek truth that way. As followers of Jesus, we must deal only in truth. We lose credibility and hurt the integrity and overall mission of the church and the kingdom of God if we accept, believe, and encourage lies by retelling or reposting things that we don't know to be true. It's better to not post something than have to take it down and explain. Because somebody is, (laughs) I've learned this just by, by, by listening to other people, I've learned that somebody's always gonna take a screenshot of something stupid that you say. And that it's always gonna be out there. You put it out on the, on the, the internet, out in the, out in the, I forget even what it's called. The internet verse. <laughs> you put it out there, the ethernet, right? You put it out there, it's always gonna be out there. Somebody's always gonna be able to dig it up. So it's better to hold your tongue and keep your fingers from typing something until you know it to be true. We can't allow our judgment, conversations, and divisions of, and decisions about race to be clouded by hearsay, innuendo, or outright lies. We must deal in truth, especially with something as important as unity in the church and unity among the races. Proverbs 11.3 says, The integrity of the upright guides them, but the perversity of the treacherous destroys them. Ephesians 4.15 says, But speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way unto him who is the head, Christ. How do we grow in Christ? By speaking the truth and speaking the truth in love. John 17, 17 Jesus said sanctify them by, their tru- by the truth your word is truth. And Ephesians 6, 14 says stand therefore with your belt uh, with truth like a belt around your waist. Folks, we must make truth our core principle. When we deal with issues of race and the church, we must make truth, the truth about the matter, the core principle. We must seek the truth wherever it lays. The next thing I believe we must do is this. Don't make assumptions. Don't make assumptions. Don't just assume, you know, this goes back to Noah being able to admit that you don't know what you don't know. Don't assume something. (sighs) I've talked to many, had many conversations with men and women of color, and especially the men. And they talk about walking down the street and seeing women clutching their purse, or people walking to the other side of the street, or avoiding intentionally. All you're doing is assuming because of the color of that person's skin that they are trouble for you. I've heard police officers in our town question question the need of teenage Puerto Rican kids being in East Long Meadow on a 10 speed. I, you know what I'm talking about. Right, Natalie? You know what I'm talking about. Don't make assumptions. God forbid two teenage boys of color walk down the street with a hoodie on. White people think there's a crime wave coming. All it could be is these boys are just like your teenage boys. My, old, my son, Zach, 36, those of you who've known Zach and been in this church for years, you know one thing. When, when the temperature drops below 90, Zach puts on a hoodie, right, Tiffany? He's, 100, he's, he's nothing like me. He's 145 pounds, six foot tall, and he's cold all the time. He wears hoodies all the time. Nobody looks at Zach in a hoodie when the hood's up and thinks that Zach is trouble. Just be, but we, people assume that. Don't make assumptions just because of what you think. Mahatma Gandhi said, an eye for an eye makes the whole world blind. Making assumptions about people doesn't help the situation at all. And it doesn't help you find truth, and it doesn't help the church move forward through this issue, and it doesn't help us reach the world. Don't make assumptions. 2 Corinthians 8.21 says, Indeed, we are giving careful thought to do what is right, not only before the Lord, but also before people. Whatever happened to getting to know somebody before you make a judgment about their character? When you assume something about someone just because of the color of their skin, we're automatically building a wall. If we're going to learn and move through this process, if we're going to be unified as the church of God, if we're going to be unified in our message to the world, we've got to stop making assumptions about people simply because of the color of their skin. (laughs) And we must be concerned that other people are hearing truth from us and believe what we say because we, have, because we have earned credibility with them by being a person that speaks truth. <laughs> Do people believe you when you speak? I remember a day, and many, some of you uh, are old enough to remember a day, some of you are not, but some of us are old enough to remember a day when a person's word really was their bond. And you could trust somebody, and you could make a handshake and say, it's going to happen. Nowadays, our integrity is up for the highest bidder in whatever it is we want. We must, be, we must make sure that other people know they're hearing truth from us because we have earned credibility with them. First John three eighteen says, little children, let us not love in word or speech, but in action and in truth. We show people our integrity, we share people with people our integrity, we, we continue to build our integrity, and we live in integrity as we treat people and act and speak with integrity. And lastly, we must talk to people intentionally. We must talk to people intentionally. Anne Frank, who was a, uh, a victim in the, uh, the Nazi... Uh, destruction of the Jewish people said this, I keep my ideals because in spite of everything, I still believe that people are really good at heart. Amazing. A young woman who was hunted down because of, her nation, because of her race to be killed. Let's just not get into everything else, but to be killed because the Nazis thought that they were the superior race. She said, in spite of everything I've been through, I still believe that most people are good at heart. Therefore, I keep my ideals. And Christians, that's what we have to do. We cannot afford, as Christians, we cannot afford to become jaded to this world. We cannot afford to become jaded because there are people who act horribly. Does it shock me? Yes. Does it sicken me that people act the way they do? Yes, it does. On both sides. It does. It sickens me that people... I mean, come on. We had we had a, a, a guy and, and two of his friends, his brother and his girlfriend, kill three people in Florida. The dude had 230 felony arrests and he was 26 years old? Really? There's a problem with the justice system. (laughs) Let's just say that clearly. But just because of that one incident doesn't mean that I now have to become jaded towards all of society. It means that I take it for what it is and do my best to move forward through that and still love people because Christ commanded me to love people. We have to believe that if we speak truthfully and from the heart with people with the intention of showing them how Jesus would live in this present world, that it would make a difference. I truly believe, I believe with all my heart, that if the church in America, especially the white church in America, would truly take actionable steps towards reconciling with those of color. African American people, Latino people, towards people of color. I truly believe that once they got over the shock of it, that we would make change. That there would become, because I just have to believe and take them at their word that they just want to be treated equally. And that they love Jesus as much as I love Jesus. And they want to see people come to know Christ just like I want to see people come to know Christ. And really, that's all I care about in my life is that people come to know Jesus as their Savior. I don't care if you wear your left shoe on your right foot and your right shoe on your your left foot. I just want to see people come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. And I truly believe that if we would take actionable steps that people can see and we make that effort to have honest, intentional conversations with people about race and the church and the problem that's there and how they feel about it, I truly believe that we would make progress. And we would come to understand that we are not so much different than each other. That there's more commonality in our lives than there is difference. And we'd come to appreciate the differences of culture. Listen, when we, when we brought Gabriel and Michael into the house, they, they were, they're they Puerto Rican. I'm Puerto Rican by birth. They're Puerto Rican by, uh, by, by uh, um, heritage. And I wanted them to understand some of that. And so I learned how to cook um, some Puerto Rican food. You know what I found out? It's really good. Really good. Some panini and some rice and beans. Man. It's good stuff we'll find out that there are great things about every culture that we can bring into our lives, and they can learn things about our culture. That I, I find it funny that um, Puerto Ricans think that white people, all white people put crackers on their mac and cheese. And we've had, people, we've had Puerto Rican people make mac and cheese for us. They said, well, we put crackers on it because that's the way white people like it. No, it's not. Not this white boy. I, don't, I, I like mac and cheese as mac and cheese. Like five different kinds of cheese in there, but I digress. <clears throat> Galatians 4.16 says, So then I have, become, have I become your enemy because I have told you the truth? We're not looking to divide. We're looking to bring together over truth. So how do we do that? How do we talk to people intentionally and make change and make a difference? First of all, we must intentionally start conversations with people of color about color and their experiences. Start conversations with people of color. I don't advise you running up to somebody and saying, hey you, get over here. Sit down and talk with somebody in a kind, gentle way. Say, can I be honest with you? I need, I really wanna understand what this is all about. Can we have an honest conversation about what it's like to be an African-American person in white society? How about in our area, can I talk with you about being Puerto Rican in Springfield and what it feels like for people to say that your people have ruined our city? Can I ask you what that feels? How about sitting, you can sit down and talk with me, I'm sure Risa would talk with you. What's it like to be raising children of color in a society that really doesn't have much time for them right now and thinks they're a problem? You see, sit down and have intentional conversations with people about their experiences. Throw your assumptions off to the side and sit there intentionally and listen, it's gonna be hard. It's difficult to have those conversations because some of them really challenge the way we were raised and the thoughts that we've had. But it's important if we're going to make a difference. 1 Peter 4, 7 and 8 says, The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and sober-minded for prayer. Above all, maintain constant love for one another, since love covers a multitude of sins. You know, going back to my sons, it can be one of those days where I'm grouchy and I yell at them just because I'm grouchy. They really haven't done anything. I'm just grouchy. And if I go back to them, I try to practice this with my boys because I want them to be young men and, and finally husbands and fathers, if that's how God leads and blesses them. I want them to be men who will take responsibility for their actions and their lives and men who are able to apologize for the wrong they did. So if I've, if I've yelled at Gabriel out of frustration that because of me and not because of him, I go back and I say, hey, Gabriel, can I talk to you for a minute? Gabriel, I'm really sorry I yelled at you. It was. It, he says, "Oh, it's okay, Daddy. No, it's not, Gabriel. It was wrong of me. You didn't do anything wrong. I was the one that was wrong, and I'm really sorry. Can you forgive me?" Man. Gabriel gives me one of those Gabriel hugs. He wraps his arm around me. I love you, Daddy. Michael will wrap his arms around. I love you, Daddy. And you know what? Everything else fades away because love covers a multitude of sins. And I'll guarantee you, if you, with honesty and honest, true, loving intentions in your heart, sit down and start a conversation with a person of color, asking them about their experiences, talking to them, and truly listening and trying to understand what it is they feel and what they've honestly been through, then I believe with all my heart that a love will start to develop between the two, and that love will cover a multitude of sins. Because most people, most followers of Jesus truly, truly want to see unity in the church. That's all they want. Secondly, make it your mission to learn what you don't know. Make it your mission in life to learn what you don't know. I don't know about somebody's experience, a person of color. I don't know about their experience. I don't know what it feels like. Therefore, I've got to make it my mission to learn so that I can have empathy towards them. So that I can, although I can't walk in their shoes, I sure can watch the DVD I sure can learn from them about what their experience has been like. Listen, I have no desire to go through what my wife just went through. I have no. She was she. They they. Two times my wife was at death's door. They called me on Father's Day morning. The the doctor and it was on Aaron's phone. I was it was video. I don't ever recommend that. Um, they show Aaron was in the screen and she had the big CPAP oxygen mask on, and I could see in my wife's eyes the fear. And I could see in my wife's eyes the fact that she couldn't, she couldn't catch her breath. And I don't ever want to be in that situation. But I do want to talk to my wife about what it was like. And what she leaned on. And what she held to. She told me, she, she said, John, on that phone call, I focused on your eyes and your voice. Because that's at that moment, that is what helped me take another breath. And Erin spent two days looking at a monitor, making sure her oxygen level didn't go below a certain amount. I wanna know what it's like. And I I wanna know what my wife clung to during that time. Honestly. So I have to talk to her about it. Same thing in this situation with race. Learn, make it your mission to learn, what, to, to learn what you do not know. Second Corinthians 4, 1 and 2 say, Therefore, since we have this ministry, because we were shown mercy, we do not give up. Instead, we have renounced secret and shameful things, not acting deceitfully or distorting the word of God, but commending ourselves before God to everyone's conscience by an open display of the truth. Hebrews 12.1, I'm going to make a a secondary application because Hebrews 12.1 is speaking about Hebrews chapter 11, which is the hall of faith, which is a whole uh, section about, um, about those who sacrificed and many gave their lives for the cause of the gospel of Jesus Christ and Hebrews 12:1 taking uh, as i said making a secondary application here says therefore since we have also such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us let us run with endurance the race that lies before us white folks people of color are our witnesses in this matter and we have witnesses that can teach us and help us to understand what racism does to a person what it does to their spirit What it does to their heart and to their mind. They are our witnesses. We are surrounded by them and we need to understand and speak to them so that we can learn from them. Thirdly, we must ask honest questions and seek honest answers. 2 Timothy 2.15. Be diligent to present yourselves to God as approved, a worker who doesn't need to be ashamed, correctly teaching the word of truth. Ask honest questions, seek honest answers, and I would add to that this, be ready for the answers that you get. Be willing to accept what you hear as truth. Lastly, give honest responses. We are at a time, and this especially is an issue where we don't need to dance around the issue. We need to be honest. We need to ask honest questions, seek honest answers, but we also need to give honest answers. And I would say that to people of color. Please, if I come to you and ask you questions, please be honest with me. Don't, don't, try to, don't try to candy it and color it. Be honest. White people, when you talk with people of color, give an honest answer to them. Because if we could get to the point of honesty in all things, then we could dig the root of that problem out. Worst thing in the world is to have a beautiful lawn but have two dandelions and you just keep plucking them but you never get the root. Get that root out and you get rid of the weed. Give honest answers. Proverbs 12, says, Lying lips are detestable to the Lord but faithful people are his delight. Speak honestly. Speak truthfully. Speak intentionally. I believe that that's a great start. And if we could speak with intentional honesty about this matter with others, especially those of a different race, different skin color, I believe folks will be on our way. Listen, this is the direction that I'm leading New Life. To be a church, not, not that focuses on social justice, don't get me wrong, but there's a, a church that, that just makes it known that we are welcoming to everybody that everybody is welcome. Even though they may not be welcome in East Long Meadow, they're welcome at new life. They're welcome at new life. We need to understand that. Why? Not so that we can, we can raise ourselves up to be something that other people think we might want to be, simply because the more, we, the more unified we become, the more people will reach for the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's our purpose. Would you bow your head with me in prayer? Lord, thank you so much for the opportunity to be here in church. Lord, thank you for the a great number of people we've had here in both services, God. It's uh, great to see people uh, coming back to church. God, we're so thankful that you've given us this place where we can come and worship. Father, I pray that you will bless us throughout the rest of this day. Lord, may we take what we've heard and may we uh, try to, to really apply that deep into our hearts into our spirits so that if there's a change that needs to be made or that we can make and help somebody else with, God, that we will allow that to happen in our lives. Bless us as we go. God, may we be people of your word. May we be ambassadors of your truth. Your We pray, amen.